I'm Cameron DeBazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're continuing our lesson through the book of Psalms. And this week we're on lesson five with a title so long that in our notes we had to truncate it. It's called Singing the Lord's Song in a Strange Land. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pastor Howard, you put together the Talking Points outline for this week. Yes, and did. Del- dug into this lesson. And I uh, just having come from our little pre-discussion, there's a lot that we could go into in this lesson. So we're not going to be short of stuff to talk about this no, week. No, we won't. I'm guessing the classes won't be either. We're going to give you plenty of material to, if you didn't have ideas beforehand, you should have plenty of ideas after this too. Amen. things you can cover. Amen. So All day long. I'm going to start with a word of prayer, turn the time over to you, and we're going to walk through the lesson. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this, your word. Thank you for the specifically the book of Psalms and all the depth and meaning we can draw from it in our own study today. So please bless this discussion and talking points and the discussions to follow in the Sabbath school classes that are going to be meeting this coming Sabbath. Please let everyone be blessed and by your grace be more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Our lesson this week, singing the Lord's song in a strange land, is built on the uh, the memory verse, of course, Psalm 137, verse 4, how long shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, it says in the New King James. I didn't look up to see the, the uh, version of that. It doesn't list it there in the quarterly. But the idea mm-hmm. in the context was that they were captives in Babylon, and the Babylonians said, hey, why don't you sing some of the songs of Zion? And the response was, how can we sing the songs of Zion, songs that yeah. were celebrating you know, Jerusalem and rejoicing in the presence of God and his holy city here when we're not there? Yeah. And the lesson takes that and actually um, applies a little more to those strange land experiences of discouragement or, mm. you know, when God seems distant or things like that. It's hard for us, you know, the songs, the psalms are, are songs of praise. How can we be praising God in times of difficulty? That's kind of okay. the So the strange the land is it. essentially a metaphor for the experiences we might go through. In the lesson here... Uh, this week, yes. Okay. So that's how they're applying it. So I have this week's lesson in our handout. Our uh, This week's lesson studies how to maintain an attitude of faith in times of difficulty and doubt. Okay. Three talking points for this week. Number one, God is supremely good. I drew that from Sunday's lesson, primarily. Uh, talking point number two, God is never as far away as he may seem. Okay. That conveys the idea. I like that's that. Monday through Wednesday. And then number three, our doubts must yield to faith. And that is from Thursday's lesson. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Well, what, where are we getting this from? Because I remember, again, in our pre-conversation, there's just psalm after psalm after psalm that kind of touches on these themes. So yeah. how is it organized? And- so, boy, I, I, there's a lot. I, I, I almost wanted to go with two talking points this week and spend mm. the first session just, just talking about. I know a lot of people, um, some of our viewers may just be entering in, recently joining in with talking points and have not heard some of this discussion before. I know that before I was in a Sabbath school department, I could take or leave the quarterly. Mm. And when I, as a pastor, would teach classes, I would often teach my own thing instead of the quarterly lesson. Ah, the quarterly lesson. And some lessons were better than others, but, you know, I would have a struggle with, like, how are we dragging out Jonah for for 13 weeks <laughs> yeah. or something like that? Not to diminish anything, but I'm just Jonah. saying... That, yeah. But one of the things I've found, um, you know, I felt a little bit more beholden to at least do something with the quarterly, and we've mentioned this before, that one of the first things that dawned on me is, that, well, the quarterly is not the lesson. The Bible's a lesson, and in the, in the 
official title there is the Adult Bible Study Guide. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I appreciate about the quarterly lessons, you know, I don't always concur hand in hand with the author, and mm-hmm. and we're not supposed to. And I'm not talking about like, oh, it's heresy. But my mind may go into a different thought when I read this psalm, or or they may bring up a point and. And I think, well, that's a good point, but my mind goes to that passage, not this passage, mm-hmm. or that psalm, not this psalm in this particular context. But I appreciate that because it actually will push you to study into things that maybe you wouldn't have normally studied. Mm. And so I guess I'm just saying that, that you know, sometimes there's some weeks, and we both do this, where it's kind of harder to see where they were going and what am I going to draw out of this lesson. But apply yourself to going through the passages, and the Lord will give you something to share mm, with your sure, class. For sure. Now, this week, I felt like I could have gone, gone two weeks on it, not because, like, I think you could almost encapsulate everything from this week's lesson into one talking point. Okay. Um, but there's enough, and we'll see this, different approaches, in, in, in different aspects that are brought out in the different psalms that you could, and they're longer psalms, that you could just take one of these psalms, like one of the lessons, one of the psalms this week, Psalm 77. We could almost take the entire lesson just walking through it. Mm-hmm. Of course, you don't do that as a teacher. Typically, you've got to find out how to narrow it down. So that's what yeah. we've tried to do this week. Uh, I just want to encourage you with the quarterly lesson, you know, pray that the Lord would would draw your mind to those things, whether it be the passages you're reading or sometimes when you're going through those passages, just questions come in your mind and you look up some, um, you know, some of the original words or the comments and it will draw something else out. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that as we go through here. So the point number one, God is supremely good. On Sunday's lesson, again, the overarching theme this week is how do we praise God in times of difficulty? Mm-hmm. And Sunday's lesson talks a lot about, it points to those psalms. One of the things that struck me this week is we talked about the psalms being praises to God and, and, and also songs of praise and, and this kind of thing and experiences of God's people. But one of the things that's fairly unique with the psalms is they're not written exclusively about God, but often to God. There's yeah. dialogue that takes place. So where, where you're reading the book of Ephesians, for example, or Galatians, and there's counsel that God is giving through Paul to his people. But in the Psalms, there's oftentimes dialogue, Lord, oh Lord, how long is this going to go on with you in this interchange? Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things you find is that the psalmist will often appeal to God's own name, his character, his reputation, as so when they find themselves in difficult places, oftentimes they'll say, Lord, you know, even if they deserve that whatever retribution, but Lord, for your name's sake, mm. lest you get, lest people get a wrong idea of the kind of God you are, you need to act in this situation. Mm. So it's almost like there's an appeal to defend not just your people, but your own name and reputation. Like Absolutely. It's, it's, it's its own concern. So, for example, we studied previously uh, in a previous lesson how the order and stability of the universe are rooted in God's goodness. We mm-hmm. talked about him being sovereign, but the sovereignty alone was not... Right. The praiseworthy part, because he could just be sovereign and mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was his justice and his mercy, that his goodness that that gave us confidence and provided us stability, because we know there's a merciful, benevolent God in charge of everything. Well, this, uh, the great controversy that we often talk about is that's the backdrop of everything that we're in right now is the result of this 
goodness of God being brought into question, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's the Lucifer question, the goodness of God. And to this day, the reason this is, we are the grand experiment as to whether or not God really is good. Mm. And the psalmists understood this. And so often in, in light of this, they would appeal to God's reputation as a motivation to act. For example, if we look at Psalm 74, and I don't know if you have it there. I do not, but I can. Uh, 74, and I've tried to just jump to some verses that are that are key here uh, for sake of time, and okay. we've got them in the handout. You can download that in the link. Um, what verses you Psalm 74, why don't you read verses 3 and 4? 3 and 4. Lift up your feet to the perpetual desolations. The enemy has damaged everything in the sanctuary. Your enemies roar in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their banners for signs. Now go to 7 and 8. They have set fire to your sanctuary. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them altogether. They have burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. So now let's keep in the context here. Like God has allowed the enemy to come in and bring retribution and judgment upon his people for their unfaithfulness. And they mm-hmm. could be talking about all that. But notice how they're pointing to God and saying, you know, the, the enemy has come in and done these things. But this has been a reproach on your name. It's your house. It's, it's your, your house. Yeah. right? So if you go ahead then to verse um, 10. Oh, God, how long will the adversary reproach? Will the enemy blaspheme your name forever? And then again in verse 18, it says, Remember this, that the enemy has reproached, O Lord, and that a foolish people has blasphemed your name. Mm. So they're pointing back to this, you know, God, this what's happening here is reflecting on you. It'd be one thing to reflect on his people, but if God's ever going to finish this controversy, his name has to be mm. magnified and, and, and shown to be, he has to be shown to be holy. And Yeah, I never thought about that, but it, it kind of it almost assumes that, I know a little foreshadowing, next mm-hmm. week's going to talk about the poor and the needy and how God helps. Yes. But here, um, it says in verse 21, let the poor and needy praise your name. In verse 22, arise, O God, plead your own cause. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 idea being that like in a certain circumstance, I mean they're attacking your house, right? They're attacking your name. It's your cause. You in this instance are the poor, the needy. You're That's the one right. being trodden down, and for your own sake, rise up, right? And Absolutely. He's appealing to that. Now, so here's another interesting thing. So as you read there, the poor and the needy. Not everybody who was in the context of this affliction that came from the enemies was deserving of it. Mm. There's the poor and the needy. Remember them, etc. But what if they were all deserving of it in that in that context? Well, if you go to Psalm 79, this psalm is similar to what we just read, but it's in the context of the blatant sin of his own people. Mm. And so if you look at uh, Psalm 79, um, verses 8 through 10. Okay. Oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins, for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging blood of your servants which has been shed. So where, you know, what a fascinating... So yeah, we've sinned, we deserve it, but God, if you don't atone us, it's going to... It's going to, your name of being a God that's loving and mm-hmm. merciful, it's going to be brought into question. Atone us for your name's sake. And then that will declare to, to the nations that you are indeed a loving and a forgiving God. It, it makes me think of even earlier in, in Israel's history, and maybe you're going to mention this in a minute, but how God 
when and Moses was talking about the deliverance of his people, not only out of Egypt bondage, but then from the hungering and the suffering. Yes. And, and they're like, Lord, don't leave us out here to die because it was your name in which That's we exactly came out right. here. It's like, so they're not going to just make fun of us. They're going to be thinking less about you, right? So it's an appeal in times of our own difficulty that, hey, we are connected to you. So this is your reputation on the line too. You know? That's right. And that, and, and that, this is a consistent, this isn't a one-off theme. This isn't a one-off, hey, we picked this, pulled this psalm, and we pulled mm-hmm. it out of context. I'm saying that because there's a lot of discussion, even in our church, about the vindication of God and how, when it needs to be made or mm-hmm. how it needs to be made or what have you. But consistently through Scripture, you see this theme like your name, for your name's sake, God. For your, mm-hmm. And you mentioned, uh, uh, I don't know where you were referring to, it happens in multiple times, but for example, in uh, Numbers chapter 14, when it came to going okay. into the Promised Land, they... Moses said, Lord, if you don't take the people in, then the Egyptians are going to basically reproach you yeah. and say, you're a God that isn't able. And, and, and time permitting, we would go into the fact that God, as a result, did not even permit his people to practice circumcision until they came into the promised land. You read about it, I, mm. I, I mixed up here, jo- Joshua 5 or 9, I forget which chapter there, where they're coming to the land and God actually said, that once they come into the promised land, go ahead and circumcise them now. And he, in God's words, roll away the reproach of Egypt. Mm. Well, that reproach of Egypt was what Moses was speaking about there in Numbers 14, that they're going to reproach you because you weren't able. God said, okay, now I brought him right. in. Now let's now put that reproach away. All, right. All of it, again, having to do with God's name. And I have the reference here to 1 Samuel 2.17, where the people of God began to abhor the offering of the Lord because of the conduct of the sons of Eli. All through mm. Scripture, God's name is is either praised or, or, or uh, uh, what do I want to say, blasphemed or whatever yeah. because of the behavior of his people. So Jesus in Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in, with, who is, um, in heaven. So... The conduct of God's people, like it or not, reflects upon the character of God. Yes, it does. How God interacts and how God forgives reflects upon his own character. Uh, Romans 2, and we, we won't take the time to look this up just for okay. sake of time, but in Romans chapter 2, Paul says, he, he refers to God's people, he says, you who say you don't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who say don't worship idols, do you rob temples of idols? Do you? <laughs> and he, these are the godly people calling out the pagans right. and heathens. He's like, well, not that they're right, but come on, who are you to say that That's when right. you're doing the same thing? And so he points to their hypocrisy and he says, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So Mercy. again, you just have, this is what it means, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Yes. You're taking the name Christian or, you know, taking a name to identify yourself yourself with God, and then your conduct doesn't match. It reproaches his name. So mm. we see this. So talking point number one, God is supremely good. And and that understanding often motivated the responses in the Psalms when people went through difficult times to say, yes, I'm in a difficult place. Maybe I didn't bring it on myself. Maybe I did. But in either case, it's, it's for God's own namesake mm. that he would respond in a positive way. So wouldn't it's almost it's almost a little awkwardly gratuitous to say you know I know I sinned and everything else but Lord if you don't if you don't at least make an attempt to save me it's on you <laughs> yeah you know you certainly wouldn't want to come out with a cavalier <laughs> attitude but the reality that you're talking about from the great controversy's yes. perspective is that God has staked His own sovereignty and reputation in the universe on his dealing with rebellion and how do you deal That's with right. good people and bad people and sort out the difference and save those who are in need. 
God's God's name is directly attached to what goes on here on his planet. That's right. And the and the quarterly brings up a fantastic statement. They brought up the last part of it, so I included a couple other sentences from Desire of Ages, page 671. It's on the bottom of Sunday's lesson in that bottom shaded part. But if you would read what we have here. Yeah, the broader one says, yes. The Savior came to glorify the Father by the demonstration of his love. So the Spirit was to glorify Christ by revealing his grace to the world. The very image of God is to be reproduced in humanity. The honor of God, the honor of Christ, is involved in the perfection of the character of his people. Okay, so the, the overall statement, the point that it's making is just what we've just read, that, that the, the character of God's people reflects on the character of God. Mm-hmm. And it's a fascinating statement here. Again, the, the, the quarterly starts with the honor of God, the honor of Christ. But if you look at the construction of this, the Savior came to glorify the Father by a demonstration of his love. Mm-hmm. So the Father demonstrates his love through Jesus. And then it goes on to say, so, or in the, or same, in the way, same way, the Spirit yeah. was to glorify Christ. So first the Father's glorified by Christ. Now the Spirit glorifies Christ through his people. Mm-hmm. And that's made clear in the next sentence, the very image of God is to be re- reproduced in humanity. Why? Because it's in that in the character of his followers that his goodness is reflected. Yes. And again, so this is brought out with the psalmist. They depend on that trustworthy, that supremely good character of God, God's holy name, his name's sake as a basis for why he should act Yes. Um, to, to, you know, defend them and uphold them and save them. Well, let me just speak to the fact that we should act in, with, with much efficiency now because we've got two more talking points to go. And if you're ready, let's move on to talking point number two. I was just going to, and you just ate up that time. So uh, it's okay. We do. <laughs> number two, talking point number two, God is never as far away as he may seem. Now, mm-hmm. Psalm 77 is one of the, the Psalms this lesson tr- uh, focuses on. And se- Psalm 77, verse 3, David says... I remembered God and was troubled, which is an interesting. <laughs> and he goes on to say some other things. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Yeah. So the idea here is, you know, what does he mean by that? Well, in the greater context, the remembering part is he's looking. He's looking at those aspects of suffering, mm-hmm. and he was. He he. I remembered God. You think of the goodness of God, but then you look at the suffering of God, and it's a paradox. It's yeah. a, well, how, it doesn't make sense, and it overwhelms sometimes. It overwhelms the best of us sometimes. And this is what he's speaking of. And I had here in a, in a sub-point that in times of suffering despair, God often seems very far away. Now, I have Psalm 88, 1 to 14. I mean, I would run with these in a class. For sake of time, I'm not going to read it, but this is the... This the same just theme ex- is there, yeah. It's making this point. You see the psalmist... In times of suffering and despair, and where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away? These kind of, this kind of language. Um, and the thing that it brought to my mind it, it, as a practical example was the death of Lazarus. It's one of the most astonishing, <laughs> like when, you, when, when the whole experience t- begins to take place, the word comes to Jesus that his friend Lazarus is sick. Mm-hmm. Then he basically says, um, the Bible says he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Therefore, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. <laughs> I mean, it's like he loved, you're expecting to say, so he went right to them. Right. No, because he loved them, he didn't go. He stayed where he was. Yes. This is a place where we visibly see what we often don't see with God. Mm. We can't see where he is. We can't see why he's doing what he's doing. But now here's a visible representation of God doing the same thing that sometimes he's, oftentimes he does that mm. we can't see. This is Jesus 
He waits. Mm -hmm. And and when when two days go by and he decides to go to Lazarus, he tells his disciples, I'm glad for your sake that this happened, that Mm. you may believe. In other words, I have a purpose in this that you didn't recognize, but it's going to work out. And I I think that's a model to tell us that God always has a purpose that we don't always see. Mm -hmm. It's not an indifference, even though it may seem like it. Absolutely. And of course, Lazarus didn't, I mean, Lazarus didn't see any of it. He just knew he was sick. Jesus didn't come. And then he went to his death, of course, and then all knowledge stopped. And, but Jesus doesn't say, and I'm glad for Lazarus' sake. Good. It's time for him. No, he understood that Lazarus was not unto death. He was going to raise him up. But the circumstance was for those watching, going back to the whole, the the people who are onlookers need to understand the character of God too. Absolutely. Uh, So the quarterly on Monday last paragraph makes the point, the innocent suffering of God's people is a fact of life, no matter how hard to understand. You can't, God's never promised immunity from suffering. Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation. Uh, But my point, my talking point is, God is never as far away as he seems. I've actually drawn that from, from Acts chapter 17, verse 27, where the apostle says that, that uh, we were all put in this world that men may grope after God. That we mm. use this word like you're blind and you can't see and you're feeling, you feel after him. Some translations say that they may feel after him and find him, though he's not far from mm-hmm. every one of us. So it's an interesting construct. It's like you're groping like he's not there, but he is there. He's close. It's just we can't perceive it because of our own mm. lack of understanding. Mm. And so in the same way, I just made the point here in the lesson, even though there's suffering, we're assured that God is not far from us. Uh, one of the Psalms the lesson brings out is Psalm 102, where again, it talks about some of the hardship and sufferings, but the psalmist then says, God will yet arise and have mercy on us. So mm. at the end of it, yes, there's a suffering, but by faith, I know that he is going to be faithful. Mm. So, uh, in fact, I, I have another quote there from Wednesday's lesson, if yeah, you want to read that, paragraph that. 6. The assurance that the psalmist receives from God, in Psalm 77, does not consist of explanations about his personal situation, but rather a confirmation of God's faithfulness and trustworthiness. And then it, there's a little parenthetical statement that said, like Job. It right. just kind of throws that out there. And I, we discussed that earlier, that Job... <clears throat> You know, the quintessential book of suffering is the book of Job, right? And we have the advantage of, we know behind the scenes there was this discussion in heaven and Satan and argument. But But poor Job didn't know that, right? Never did he know that. No, and that's the point. People could say, well, he got, it was fine in the end, right? Well, I mean, fine in the material sense. Yes, he got, he was revived and the Lord blessed him. But we never see in the book of Job an explanation where God sits down and said, now look, Job, here's the thing. What you didn't know is there was this meeting in heaven and Satan came in and I needed somebody and you were fit. He never gives him that. He just blesses him and that's it. And I'm sure someday he'll get that explanation, but it's not owed to him now. Right. And well, to the point of this statement, which I thought was fascinating, God does give an explanation, but the explanation is he points to his own goodness and faithfulness. He doesn't explain what happened. Right. He doesn't say, well, here's what happened. Satan came to me, he made a challenge, and the other <laughs> beings in the universe were looking on, and and I had to demonstrate that he just explains, hey, look, have I not, what do you, you know, have I, have I not formed all these things, and yeah. I have the power to, and I give the see the borders, and I do all Basically, this. it's like, hey, man, trust me. That's it. And no. in the same way, so the lesson makes the point that we see that in the Psalms, we see that other places in the Scripture, that God, he doesn't answer every question, but he does reveal that he's trustworthy. Amen. And so that leads us to our talking point number three, our doubts must yield to faith. Um, I have here in the lesson, uh, in our outline, one of the most difficult aspects of hardships, going through hardships, to reconcile 
uh, with our belief in a loving God is that the hardships always seem to fall on the righteous and never the wicked. <laughs> yeah. You know, why is that? And <laughs> I don't, I, I, That's a really good point. It's like, we don't have a problem with hardship happening. We just don't like to whom it happens. Like, why is it on me? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, Psalm 73, we've referred to this in, in previous lessons. I'm not going to read through, but the lesson takes a day where, on Thursday, where it goes through the bulk of Psalm, like 73, 1 through 20, and then uh, some of the other verses there. And the whole thing is, the psalmist is actually saying that this burden of trying to figure out why bad things happen to good people was so overwhelming, I almost lost my way. Mm. And it's interesting that when when you get down to verse, as I was reading through this, and this wasn't even in um, uh, one of the verses that they had us reading, or maybe it was in verse 21, he says, thus my heart was, and I'm reading in the New King James, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. It's interesting that in the, in the Hebrew is the word kametz, which literally means fermented. Mm. My heart was fermented. My heart was, and you would translate that, my heart was soured. It mm. was embittered, some translations say. Mm. So what he's saying is, it became such an overwhelming, uh, he talks about being too painful for him to think of it, became so overwhelming a thought, like, why did the bad things happen to good people, that he was embittered by it, and yeah. it distorted his thinking. And then he goes on to say, in verse 22, I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you, <laughs> because he does find some explanation if you want to read verses 17 to 20. Sure, 17 to 20 says, of course... In fact, start with verse 16. Sure, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you have set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakens, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. So, as much as appearances may seem that the wicked are prospering, he says, I went into the sanctuary. We talked about this in a previous lesson. This is a place of judgment. And he actually saw the end of the wicked, the outcome, like, oh, they seem to be prospering now. And I put in our notes here that there are two reasons that God permits such paradoxes. Number one is to save the lost. I mean, we, you could say, well, why do the wicked seem to, they, they seem to outlive. They're smoking, they're drinking, and they're outliving everything. Because this is the only life they have. Yeah. And the Lord is trying to save them. And so you've got to understand from that broader perspective. That's one of the reasons. And the other is it strengthens our faith in him when we go through these difficult situations. Mm. Um, if you'll read, uh, I'll go ahead and read actually from our quarterly Tuesday, paragraphs three and four. Okay. And then I'm going to have you read a couple statements from inspiration uh, that we have all in our outline. Uh, it says in the quarterly on Tuesday, it is remarkable that the psalmists resolve not to keep silent in the face of God's silence. God is still there even when he's apparently absent. He is still the same God who heard them in the past, and so they are confident that he hears them now. They know that God will not remain silent forever. So mm -hmm. their, their doubts had to yield to faith, and I've drawn that from one of these statements you're going to read. Yeah, this is from found in the Friday's lesson, but also uh, Testimonies, Volume 3, 555. It says, Faith grows strong by coming in conflict with doubts and opposing influences. The experience gained in these trials is of more value than the most costly jewels. Now, similarly, read in Volume 5 of the Testimonies, page 68, that the doubt that demands perfect knowledge will never yield to faith. Faith rests upon evidence, not demonstration. Right. Once you have demonstration, there's no need of faith. So there's, right. But by definition, if there's faith needed, there are going to be things we don't have answers to. So going through places where you don't see the answers is the only way to gain that faith that is without, is not by sight. That's right. So 
There's so much more that could be said. Um, I think you've got plenty of material for the lesson this week. In conclusion, there's a statement on Friday's lesson, paragraph 3 from Testimonies 5, that says, summon all your... Speaking of those times of where we need faith to reach Mm -hmm. through the darkness, and we're going through difficult times, summon all your powers to look up, not down at your difficulties. Then you will never faint by the way. You will soon see Jesus behind the cloud, reaching out his hand to help you. And all you have to do is to give him your hand in simple faith and let him lead you. As you become trustful, you will, through faith in Jesus, become hopeful. Mm, Powerful thought. As you become trustful, you'll become hopeful. What a great way to end this week's lesson. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for for the confidence that we can have in you, even when we don't see how you're leading at the time. Please, Lord, give us that faith that can rest confidently in you. Please, Lord, help every Sabbath school class to be a blessing to every participant and help us to be your witnesses in this world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.